the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Lunn and... Rob Davis. I like the, the muted Rob Davis today. I thought it was a nice contrast um... to yours. um cool yeah so um today uh we are talking about uh the next three chapters of the dresden files chapters uh 16 17 and 18 uh we're also going to be um discussing uh, a little bit of news in the world of dresden files uh with the penguin interview um as well as the Dresden Files TV show uh, coming on to Amazon uh, Prime and uh, uh, the exclusive new release of Stormfront for the 20th anniversary. Uh, so lots and lots of stuff for us to cover. Um, yeah, but first before we go into all that, um, feels like it's a good time again to kind of touch base with uh, what we've been reading and what we've been doing. So what have you been reading recently, Rob? Oh, man. Dresden Files. <laughs> I mean that—that that is what we do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, outside of that, of I mean, like I think I said last week or the week before, I started um, the Wheel of Time. Um, I'm about cool. yeah. I've just I've just passed the halfway mark of the first book. Um, I'm enjoying it quite a lot, but at the same time, I'm like, I need, I need, I need more. <laughs> um. Other than that, how would you describe Wheel of Time? Well, I have I have a running joke where you know, Kerry Kerry currently reading um Jurassic Park, and I'll be like, oh, how's Jurassic Park? Like, oh yeah, it's you know, good, blah blah blah, and I'll be like, oh yeah, <laughs> Wheel of the Rings is really good because the initial I don't know first couple of chapters of it are really like Lord of the Rings esque. Okay, um, I mean that's not a bad thing. Because, I mean, a lot of um, research I've done on the Wheel of Time anyway, it seems to be like uh, Robert Jordan took like a lot of like Tolkien aspects of world building and stuff like that and kind of did his own spin on it. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, pff, who doesn't do that, you know? Um, yeah, I recommend it at some point. I'm l- listening to the audiobook alongside actually reading it, which the narration's done okay. by... I can't remember his name. Bear, bear with me a moment. It's on the tip of my tongue, and it's going to annoy me if I don't find out who it is. Like a uh, well-known actor, or um, I mean, I know them because they did the uh, audiobooks for Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. If that okay, means, cool. If that at all means anything to you, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mistborn stuff's good. Michael Kramer. And his wife, um, Kate, reading or reading, take your pick. Oh, cool! So do they like do it together as a couple? Yeah, um, it's weird because I, I knew them from doing Mistborn, and because I downloaded the audio, but purely based on them, really. Um, and I was like, I I've noticed that they do a lot of narrations together, like they do. Um, all of Mistborn, all of uh, Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive as well, together, and they they do all fourteen books of the Wheel of Time plus the uh, prequel book, and 
I know. I, I was just like, maybe they've just got a good working relationship, but I know. I, so I googled them, and I think their Wikipedia page is like the same page. I might be wrong because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a few weeks ago, but um, yeah, I think I can't remember if they were together in a relationship or if they actually are a married couple, but they're, they're a thing. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool that they work together on like all the fantasy stuff as well. Um, it's it's I don't know if you're familiar with Wheel of Time. It does the whole viewpoint thing similar to like a load of other novels um and they kind of drift between... like um game of thrones i guess is the is the best known one yeah yeah that's a great example there and michael kramer seems to do the viewpoints which are from like you know the male point of view and then it switches to uh kate again reading reading take your pick for the female yeah. point of view which is it was nice but then i don't think she does any readings up until like chapter 25 or something like that so just randomly out of the blue she just starts talking and you're like what what and you kind of get thrown back for a minute before you remember it's you know they come as a package um outside of that i'm also still reading feet of play by terry pratchett part of the city watch series i've been making my way through a lot of discworld recently and i've kind of slowed down because i'm reading both those books together and rereading storm Mm -hmm. So that's me done. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no order to it. It's just it's pretty chaotic. It's I kind of grab whichever one is closest to me at the time. That's fair. That's fair. Um what about you. Yeah, so uh I'm now on the next book in the Horus Heresy series, uh which is Battle for the Abyss. Um, which is the first book in the series that's like, so the first couple of books are all kind of like um, setting up how each uh, legion of of the space marines um, feels about the war before, or like how they they choose their side in the war. Whereas Battle for the Abyss is the first one where it's like, okay, we know all the major players, we know where they all stand. This is the first like big confrontation between everyone, um, and that that's really cool. It's a it's essentially like a, I guess like a a, a Moby Dick kind of story in that there's this huge colossal spaceship that's going through the galaxy um, that like is kind of anything that comes into contact with it it just annihilates, and yeah. so it's this group of like mercenary type space marines that are all coming together to kind of hunt this incredible massive ship um and track it down and, and bring it down um which is really cool uh and a, and a really fun story um and yeah it, it's been it's been really good um i've been doing a lot of exercise recently and, and having something just to kind of tune into it while while i go um is really good um alongside that so i talked about how i was doing uh curse of Strad as a D game uh we are coming towards the end of that because quarantine means that everyone's able to play absolute shit tons uh which is awesome um so i'm now researching for another campaign with the same group uh, which is going to be Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Uh, if you don't know much about D&D, uh, Descent into Avernus is about going to hell. Um, and um, it's very, like, Mad Max-inspired, um, very, like, I don't know, heavy metal track, 
uh, like super like fire, flames, blood, um, and uh, really like crazy fantasy. Um, kind of a bit Constantine, a bit Hellboy. Uh, yeah. Lots of fun there. Um, and then the other thing that I've been reading recently um, is Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons, which. Oh. Um, Patrick. Sorry? Patrick Rothfuss was one of the writers, I think, for that. Patrick Rothfuss, yeah. Um, which is really good. And um, I think it was actually our, our talk about Patrick Rothfuss that kind of made me go and, I, I like, it, it was in my mind and, I, and then I went and, and bought it. Um, and that's just really fun to kind of read before bed. I, th- I think we touched upon him last week. I can't wasn't it? Because he had the um, Q and A with Jim Butcher, which we'll go into in a minute. But um, yeah, mentioned that he does the King Killer Chronicle stuff, and I've you know mentioned the D and D Rick and Morty as well. Yeah, um, and uh, the the so I'm reading the second volume of the D and D versus Rick and Morty, or Rick and Morty versus D and D. I can't remember which way around it goes. Um, but the basic kind of premise is that uh, Rick and Morty get put into the world of an old campaign that Rick ran um, and never finished. So all the NPCs and everyone hate him because no quest ever got finished. There was no resolution. So everyone just feels like their lives got put on hold, Um, which, you know, rings true at the moment with the current crisis and, and yeah. such, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's it's a lot of fun, uh, and that's kind of been my my wind down reading at night. Um, yeah, cool. Fair enough. So I guess, sorry, I was just saying fair enough. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I guess we'll move on to power networking. Um, now I haven't seen the Dresden Files Penguin interview, but Rob has. So, do you just want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, as we mentioned last week, there Penguin was doing like a twenty fifth, twenty fifth, twentieth anniversary event for Stormfront. Um, it would have been, I think, originally it was planned to take place at a uh, one of the comic cons or something like that. Um, and it was a uh, obviously they can't do that given how the current climate is. So, um, I believe it was a Zoom meeting between Patrick Rothfuss and. Jim Butcher, um, like we just mentioned, uh, if you don't know who Power Office is, uh, King Killer Chronicle, Google it, um, D&D, Rick and Morty as well. Um, and yeah, it was, it was quite interesting because I think beforehand, I, annoyingly, I had a ticket for it but because our D&D game ended at like half ten, I ended up just falling asleep <laughs> before the event started, so I was a bit gutted by that. Um, yeah, they, I think I think it was limited to a hundred tickets or something like that, and everyone with a ticket could ask a question. Uh, there's no guarantee that the question would have been picked, but you know, who cares? Um, I mean, yeah, I I watched it yesterday morning in in preparation for today. Um, I'm not watching yeah. it now, so I can't really remember any of it. But I mean, it was quite interesting. It was it was not what I expected. I expected it to be more like a straight up interview, but I mean. I recommend checking it out anyway. It's 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 just interesting to see uh, two guys just casually talking about the series. I mean, I know that Pat Rothfuss is also a huge fan of Dresden Files. I think I said last week, if you go on uh, 
Goodreads, check out reviews for any of the Dresden Files books, or any fantasy books really, and you, you're almost guaranteed to see a review from Pat Rothfuss being like, this is the greatest book of all time. And then he'll go into like mm-hmm. another review and kind of expand on why he thinks it's really cool and worth checking out. Um, yeah, I can't, man, I can't even remember any of the questions. Um, I mean, uh, th- there was an interesting one about audiobooks where um, I think I, can't, I think it was an audience member asked about, you, do, do you read or listen to any of your own work after you know, listening to it and it's all that kind of stuff, writing it? And mm-hmm. I think Jim Butcher says that he rarely goes back and reads over stuff once it's published, but he was listening to the audiobook for Stormfront recently with uh, James, obviously James Masters narrating it. And he said yeah. it was such a cool experience. And on the other hand, you've got Pat Rothfuss. And I, I can't remember who narrated... Um, oh, bloody hell, what's it called? The first book in his King Killer Chronicle, Name of the Wind. Um, but he said he listened... Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, he, he said that he listened to the first couple of chapters and just felt a bit like... A bit, a bit pretentious for listening to his own work. But... Um, <laughs> It's uh, Rupert Degras that does uh, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely worth checking out. It's not as, like I say, it's not as informative as I was expecting. But, I mean, for two, two, like, you know, massive authors in the fantasy world just kind of shooting the breeze a bit on... You know, Dresden Files, Stormfront, and the writing process and all that. It's, it's it's just really nice. It's got a good vibe to it. It's just really casual. You could probably like slap it on before bed, and it would just be like a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, it's definitely something that I'm going to be catching up in the next couple of days, and we'll put a link out to. Uh, it got put on YouTube, um, so uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the description of this. So if you fancy checking that out. Uh, and listen to a bit of uh, butcher talk. Um, that'll be a great place to kind of to get that action. Definitely. Um, yeah. So uh, this week for me, uh, I had kind of two things that I, uh, I wanted to pick up on. Um, so uh, we're now uh, within the last fifty days uh, before the next Jim Butcher book, uh, which uh, for any longtime fans of uh, the Dresden Files series feels incredible because uh, we've been kind of bookless for a long, a long time, um, and with that, there's a lot, there's a lot of kind of announcements and excitement on Jim Butcher's website, which again uh, is a great place to kind of check out if you've got if you're interested at all in Dresden Files. Um, really, really recommend looking at the Dresden Files timeline on there because uh, there's loads of little details that Jim Butcher's put in there. Um, that you either won't get in the books or will be referenced slightly in the books, but you might not be that aware of um, and uh, just super useful uh, to get. So uh, the first thing that um, caught my attention this week uh, was actually my, so my parents um, rang me up uh, super duper excited um, over the weekend. Uh, So they know that I like the Dresden files. Um, My parents aren't as big, uh, readers at the moment um they have been definitely in the past but they just Mm. tend to watch tv more um and basically uh 
they know, they know that I like the Dresden Files. My dad's read Stormfront and he really enjoyed that. Um, but they also watched the TV series. Um, and uh, they're super excited because, at least in the UK, Dresden Files has now come on to Amazon Prime uh, for free. So you can watch all the episodes of the Dresden Files, uh, including an episode um, about Stormfront um, on there. Um, I would say it's quite different to the books. Um, it's m- more similar to like a, I guess like a, a police procedural or maybe something like Arrow, uh, where it's like a every week there's something. Um, but they have an episode dedicated to Stormfront. They have an episode dedicated to Full Moon. Um, they have a few other stories from the series pop up. Um, I think they only ever got to one season. Um, but it's it it is really good. It's really good fun. Some of the casting is incredible. The casting of uh, Morgan and the casting of uh, Bob the Skull, uh, who appears as like a full corporeal form uh, in the series, um, are both really really good. Really fun fact about the show is I've only seen the two or three episodes. I've got the box set downstairs, and I found it the other day. That wasn't the fun fact. <laughs> the fun fact is um. <laughs> The the actress in it that plays Karen Murphy, she's got a different first name in the show. I can't remember what it is, but the actress who plays Murphy in the show or di- apparently auditioned to play uh, Susan. Oh, she's Murphy. Connie Murphy. That was it. Thank you. Yeah, she um she applied to applied auditioned for the role of um Susan Rodriguez initially, and they found her performance so good that they gave her the lead role as Murphy. I don't even think uh. Susan appears in the show. I'm not too sure. Um, I can't see her credited. You've got Bianca. Yeah. Uh, appears in the show. Um, uh, Morgan is like a recurring character throughout it. Um, and actually, really interestingly, um, it's because of the show. I don't know if, I, if I've said this or not, uh, but because of the show, um, I always have pictured Morgan as being black. Yeah. Um, I, it never makes reference to that in the comic, in the comics, or in the the novel itself. Um, and in fact, I think it, it expressly says that he is pale um, at some points and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. yeah um, interesting, because I mean, obviously, um, did you know that one of the one of the executive producers was Nicholas Fucking Cage? Yeah, I I found this out. Uh, about two weeks ago, maybe. I, I don't know why I was looking into it. But I, I know, I just found it really, really weird. I mean, imagine if, if Nicolas Cage had to play a character in a Dresden Files adaptation, who would you have him play? Uh, oh. Probably he would make a good villain. Yeah, I feel I feel like he would he would make a really good villain. Um, I would enjoy Nicolas Cage's Nicodemus. I was thinking um, that. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I think that that would be really fun. Um, I would parts of me would enjoy Nicolas Cage as Dresden. I mean, I I, think I can honestly picture Nick Cage just doing every role. <laughs> Even uh, Murphy and Susan. Yeah. <laughs> He'd find a way to do it. <laughs> oh, he'll find a way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, 
yeah, uh, episode eight of the series is Stormfront. Um, and it focuses more on the gang war aspect. Um, but I think I, I seem to remember it being quite good. I think I have seen it. I've definitely watched a few of these. Yeah. Um, that were worth uh, that were worth watching. There's 12 episodes in total. If you've got a bit of time, which let's be honest, we all have a bit of time at the moment, um, it's definitely worth uh, giving it a, a a look over. I would say. Um, and yeah, there, there are some kind of fun uh, backgroundy uh, facts, like like the the Nicolas Cage of it all. Um, <laughs> And yeah, and and if I remember rightly, it doesn't pull its punches too much. It, it is quite a serious series, which uh, I feel like like Dresden Files kind of needed. Um, so yeah. Oh, and uh, the main uh, actor playing Harry Dresden is Paul Blackthorne, which if you've seen Arrow, uh, is the main thing I can think he's from. Um, he's he's a really good actor. Uh, definitely a good uh, a good lead. Uh, and he makes a great Dresden, I would say. Definitely. He's, I mean, like I think I mentioned in the first episode, my sort of half-assed entry into Dresden was, it used to be on, I think, Sci-Fi Channel or something like that really late at night when I was probably like 16 or 17. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would often have it on in the background while I was reading something else. So I was kind of aware of it, and I know because I knew him as the bad guy in twenty four at this point, twenty four season three, I think. So I was kind of like, oh, oh it's okay, that <laughs> it's that guy. But yeah, that is my memory of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Um, weirdly, it says here as well: country of origin, Canada, the United States. Which I, I'm pretty sure some Canadians would have an issue with. Um, yeah. But anyway. Uh, so, um, the other thing I wanted to touch upon uh, was uh, the 20th anniversary celebrations are continuing. Uh, if you go to the Jim Butcher website, you can see the results of the cosplay contest that Jim Butcher put out. Um these are really, really good. Uh, really, really worth checking out if you want to just see some like fan interpretations of characters. Um, there's a great uh, like um, there's some great Dresden kind of looks going about. But uh, there's also a great uh, Molly as the Rag Lady, um, which I really enjoyed, um, and uh, a fantastic Toot Toot cosplay, um, <laughs> which is is very fun. Uh, I can definitely get behind that. Um, oh, and and they've got um, Murphy as she appeared in a restoration of Faith, um, which uh, is cool. And, and like, if you've been following along with us, uh, that's a great image to kind of to kind of look at. Um, but the thing that I really want to talk about uh, was um, that Stormfront is being re- uh, released as um, with a Comic Con exclusive edition. Um, this was meant to drop at various conventions this year. Obviously, not going to happen. So they're now making it that you can order it online uh, and even get a twenty percent off uh, by looking at it um, on here. Uh, on, on here being the Jim Butcher uh, website. Um, the front cover is gorgeous. Um, it's basically like a. Uh, it's 
black with like a kind of cityscape in the background and then just the outline of uh, Harry um, on the front cover. If you've been getting hyped on Stormfront with us, um, if you don't have a physical copy of it, definitely, definitely worth picking up. I think I'm going to order a copy of this um, just because it's been great going going through it again. Uh, my old copy of Stormfront has kind of made the rounds with family and friends and is very <laughs> battered. Um, and I definitely enjoy having um, a brand new one, um, which yeah, it, it's it. This is this is the, the way to go. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Um, so so get on it, and we'll we'll be putting a link to this uh, as well as everything else um, in our uh, episode notes, uh, as we always do. Uh, cool. So. Uh, we uh, will now go to our book club uh, section um, where we talk about uh, the book that we're reading at the moment, Stormfront. Uh, So uh, I uh, will give a little recap of where we were last time. Uh, So uh, last time in Stormfront, uh, we had uh, the big first kind of confrontation of the uh, the Dresden Files series, as Harry faced off against uh, a frog demon, uh, we had this kind of uh, farce comedy section where, like, the demon turned up and Susan Rodriguez was there, and then she took the love potion, and then Harry uh, and Susan were trapped in this circle, and it looked like they were gonna they were gonna die, and Susan wanted to like make out with him. Um, because she'd taken the love potion, but if she made out with him, then they would probably break the circle and the frog demon would kill them both. Um, and then uh, eventually Harry gets out of it by letting Bob go for 24 hours. Uh, Bob throws him an escape potion. Harry and Susan take the escape potion and kind of bamf out of there, Nightcrawler style. Uh, Harry uh, meets the Shadow Man for the first time. Uh, and we get this kind of uh, enigmatic... Uh, face off uh, as Harry basically um, uh, kind of has a has a little like joke at the Shadow Man's expense in that the Shadow Man is unschooled and untrained uh, and um, before things can uh, can really escalate uh, uh, Harry uh, dispels the Shadow Man's uh, projection hologram whatever you want to call it of himself. Um, almost immediately after that, uh, the frog demon attacks. Harry channels lightning for the first time straight at the frog demon, um, killing it dead. Um, at which point, Morgan shows up and is like, well, you obviously just killed the frog demon because you lost control of it. And I'm getting the White Council involved. And, uh, and uh, so Harry knows that the White Council are coming to town and they will put him to death. Uh, if it looks like he is the murderer, and at the moment it does. Uh, Harry and Murphy then uh, meet up um, at the flat of uh, Linda Randall, um, chat uh, a little bit uh, about the case. Uh, Murphy is like, you're holding stuff back from me. Harry kind of sidesteps it, kind of admits to it, holding stuff back, uh, plays dumb. Uh, Murphy is definitely hurt by this um, as she feels like they've got a really good relationship. Um, 
like working relationship and trust and bond and understanding between each other. Uh, and uh, she essentially takes Harry off the case, uh, strips him of his, his detective kind of thing, and is like, you're out on the street, go do something else, stay the fuck out of my way kind of thing. Uh, to which Harry's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going I'm to do my own thing. Uh, so he, um, we end the chapter with him lamenting all the people he's already lost in this case and how if he does nothing, Murphy might die if she gets involved in these things without Harry's backup. Harry might die when the White Council comes to town. More people are definitely going to die if the Shadow Man keeps going with what he's doing. Um and that's kind of uh, where we go into the next few chapters. Uh, do you want to take it from here, Rob? Yeah. So we begin uh, chapter 16 with Dresden at the gas station, where he gets jumped once again. He doesn't see his attacker. But uh, I always found, I, I found it really weird reading this bit this time round, because it describes, like, the attacker pulls out a pair of scissors and cuts off a bit of his hair, and he's like, My hair! <laughs> it just made me think, like, if you weren't a wizard and someone had jumped you and cut off some of your hair, what? how would you react? Would you just be like, oh, shit, now my head's uneven. <laughs> and, like, I just I just found it really like, funny. Um, yeah, so he gets jumped at the gas station. The attacker takes some of his hair. Um, I can't remember if we... S- we don't see the attacker, do we? It's kind of implied... That it's a shadow man, maybe or something. Um, yeah, but in response, definitely unsure. Yeah, uh, in response to that, Dresden manages to scratch them, like get a bit of their blood as well, and use it to track them. Um, th- this leads him to go to the Varsity, which is Marcone's bar for students or some shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Anyway, he rocks up there being like, where's my damn hair? And Marcone's just like, what? Cool. I just, I, something I really loved about this scene was just Marcone, Marcone's behaviour throughout this whole chapter reminded me of um, I can't, Vincent D'Onofrio. I can't even say it now. Kingpin and Daredevil. The actor's name. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, thank you. I've said his name so many times today. I can't say it anymore. Um, it reminded me of him just a bit where um, I think before everything properly kicks off, he Dresden goes in, he's like, where's my hair, blah, blah, blah. He's kicking up a fuss. Mm-hmm. And just Marconi is just cool, collective about it. And he's just like, you do better to speak to me yeah, better than you are now in front of people, in front of like business. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Marcone lets all the people in the uh, bar leave, and Marcone and Dresden kind of get on it a bit more on, you know, why would I take your hair? I see you as, like, not an enemy or an ally as such, but more of a kind of whatever. <laughs> but they find out that, um, they, they point the finger at Marcone, he points the finger at Hendrix, and then he points the finger, and we find out that the actual person who attacked Dresden was, is his name Gimpy Lawrence? Gimpy. I think I think he actually has a, a a different name, but everyone just seems to call him Gimpy. Yeah, which you know. But um, <laughs> yeah, they, is find, they find out uh, Gimpy is the guy, 
uh, Dresden points out, you know, I scratched the fuck out of him. Look, look here, look under his nails and all that. You'll find dry blood or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in response to that, instead of like questioning him properly, Hendrix just fucking ganks him to death. Yeah. Um, which again sh- shows us more about Hendrix being a bit of brute force to be reckoned with. Um, and I, I think, I think a... Marconi even like chastises Hendrix and is like, "We could have learned more if you didn't kill yeah. him." There, there, there was a comment like that, and I think. Uh, I think even Dresden's a bit like, holy shit. <laughs> like, that's how I imagined it in my head. Like, Hendrix just, you know, it's just like, oh, whatever, and just kills him, like, straight off. And Mark Cain's just like, oh, for goodness sake, not again. And Dresden's like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... <laughs> and then, you know, Mark Cain tells him, oh, I can't remember what he exactly says to him. He's like, I can't, um, I can't help you. I hope you all the best. If and it's it's something like if you do find out what it is, or something, then you, you can act on it as and say that you know, it, it was linked to him or something. Oh, I can't. So that he, ba- he basically that. says that he basically says that it, it's a win for him either way. Whatever happens yeah. here, because Dresden came into the club. Um, and kind of called him out in front of a lot of people. So um, Marcone cannot be seen to be working with Dresden or helping Dresden because uh, he needs to show that if someone comes and defies him, um, he uh, basically uh, attacks back or he he protects his territory kind of thing. Um, However, what he does say to Dresden is that um, it's a it's a win win for him. If he goes after the Shadow Man, the Shadow Man kills Dresden. Marcone will claim that the Shadow Man is on his bankroll and that the Shadow Man was meant to kill Dresden. If Dresden kills the Shadow Man, then Marcone will claim that Dresden basically pledged some sort of fealty to Marcone uh, and is working as like Marcone's private assassin um, to take out people like the Shadow Man uh, who cross Marcone. Uh, so either way, he sees it as a win. Um, he does. As Dresden's about to leave, because uh, he says that he can't help Dresden, um, mm. but he says that even if he could help him, um, all he'd be able to say is that the people uh, related to the Shadow Man that Marcone and Hendrix and his gang have have captured and tortured um, are terrified of the Shadow Man and have given no information whatsoever on who he is and his whereabouts and such, just that he is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, that whole exchange... It shows a lot about Marcone, which we'll discuss a bit more. But it really reminded... It just made me think of Kingpin in the uh, Netflix Daredevil series. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like um, I like a gangster with like a um, a moral code or, or a code. Maybe not a moral one. <laughs> definitely a code of sorts. Um, yeah. From there, we go into the chapter 18, which... Is I feel it's been a long time coming. Eighteen chapters in, and we're finally getting a bit more about Harry's parentage, like his, especially his father and all that kind of thing. His father was a magician. Uh, Harry was kind of his, I can't remember the term, assistant or training to be his assistant. Um, yeah, I think he was just training. And it, it, it's something I've never noticed before because, again, I'm reeling out my catchphrase. I've read the Stormfront graphic novel, not the actual book. Um, so I feel, for me, it's like you're, you're, sh- you're shown it visually in his childhood. 
Um, so it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't tap on it as well as it could. Whereas in here, it's a lot more detailed. And it got, it got me thinking with information we know now. Yeah, we'll get back, we'll get into that with the discussion. Um, we learn a li little bit more about his parentage, especially on his father's side. Um, and the chat friends mm. him rocking up at Linda Randall's apartment. And he's, he's a bit, what's the word? <laughs> a bit kind of like, at his end now in terms of resources I think because we've lost Bob for Definitely. 24 hours so he's kind of having to piece the rest of the case together without Bob's help without Murphy's help because he's off the case so he's kind of at his wits end is probably a good way of putting it and mm -hmm. it's kind of where we leave this chapter I believe I think this is kind of the the low point in the book for Dresden Definitely. Um, the end of it's act very two. like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that that whole chapter eighteen section um, is is really interesting. It's really introspective. Uh, I, I I would say that I I enjoyed that as much as the big face off with the toad demon, or even like the the kind of uh confrontation between Dresden and Marcone. Um I I like it's really interesting to to take that that moment of Dresden just walking around Chicago being very uh wrapped up in everything and, and kind of setting out the stakes and and a little bit about why he does what he does. Um I found that that really, really interested me. Um, and and the stuff about his his parentage was really interesting. Uh, so some some more will be revealed in later books, but it never really reveals much about his dad. No, it's um, interesting because I feel where where I'm at in the series, especially you're getting into that whole you're finding more about his mother's side of things, whereas yeah, the the dad's not been mentioned in since probably the early half of the series. Yeah, exactly. And part of me wonders whether that's Butcher leaving room for a plot twist or a plot point of some sort. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I kind of like the idea that he is just, his dad was just a, a stage magician and he was just a nice guy. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Where do you think that's going to go? Yeah, I mean, um, Something I quite liked is when it describes the dad's you know passing away, and um, it's it describes it as being like oh he died in his sleep but with a smile on his face maybe he was dreaming of my mum, and and it it kind of made me think I can't remember oh, sort of spoilery ish but not but I can't remember at which point his mum died as well, um but it kind of made me wonder more about. You know, did 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 his die did his die? <coughs> Excuse me, did his dad die of natural causes, or was it more of a magical? Because I mean, obviously, I I don't know how well it would have been known. Actually, no, no one knows who his mum is, do they? Like the White Council. Uh, oh God, Ebenezer Wood. Yeah, Ebenezer Wood. I can't remember if anyone else really knows about it, but I mean. You could argue, 
Oh, I'm not too sure now. Getting all my head wrapped around all these theories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it just seems like maybe there's more to it, especially knowing his family history as we go on. I just feel there's more to it than he died of natural causes. So uh, a little bit from, from the book where it talks about um, his dad. Um, I've got I've got a little quote. Um it's it's not too it's not too long. Uh so um I thought about my father. I usually do when I get low. He was a good man, a generous man, a hopeless loser, a stage magician at a time when technology was producing more magic than magic. He never had much to give his family. He was on the road most of the time, playing rundown houses, trying to scratch out a living for my mother. He wasn't there when I was born. He wasn't there when she died. He showed up more than a day after I'd been born. He gave me the names of three magicians, then took me with him on the road, entertaining children and retirees, performing in school gymnasiums and grocery stores. He was always generous, kind, more kind and more generous than we really could afford, really. And he was always a little bit sad. He would show me pictures of my mother and talk about her every night. It got to where I almost felt that I knew her myself. As I got older, the feeling increased. I saw my father, I think, as she must have. as a dear, sweet, gentle man, a little naive, but honest and kind. Someone who cared for others and who didn't value material gain over all else. I can see, I can see why she would have loved him. I never got old enough to be his assistant, as he promised me. He died in his sleep one night, an aneurysm, the doctor said. I found him cold and smiling. Maybe he'd been dreaming of mother when he went. And as I looked at him, I suddenly felt for the very first time in my life, utterly, entirely alone. That something was gone that would never return. That little hole had been hollowed out inside of me that wasn't ever going to be filled again. So yeah, I, I, and I don't think we ever really get much more than that about his dad. No, I, from my memory, I think anything else we get from it is just kind of going over that. Like, it, it just kind of yeah. reminds that his dad was a magician um, and, you know, died when he was a kid. And he doesn't even get named. I don't think he does. No. Uh, which is very interesting. I feel like the only thing we get from it is, I think it's mentioned... Uh, that is his dad named him like Harry after Harry Houdini, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure yeah. if they made that up. Um, so just doing the the, the quickest of searches, um, we've got uh, that his name is Malcolm Dresden. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, Ebenezer describes him as a, a man, a mortal without powers, without influence, without resources, but a man with a, go- a good soul like few I've ever seen. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, but there's not much else here. Um, yeah, there, there, there really isn't. There, there's nothing that I can see here that talks about um, what happened to him and uh, there's very few mentions about about his dad through the series. Um, so he's mentioned in Stormfront. He's mentioned briefly in Full Moon. 
Um, he's mentioned briefly in Blood, in Blood Rights. Uh, he's mentioned again in Deadbeat uh, for a little while longer. Uh, and then he pops up uh, in a couple of stories. Um, like like uh, like short stories. Uh, apparently he popped up in the Christmas Eve story that Jim Butcher released at the end of last year. Um, but uh, I didn't read that one. So when we get to that one, we'll talk about that. Uh, and the Lenon she mentions that she thinks that Harry Dresden has his father's eyes. So it's it's really uh, very brief mentions. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's, there's definitely potential to for that to be more if Butcher wants it to be. Um, but in some ways it's nice for it just to be a bit of normality. Okay, so uh, moving on, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the face-off between Dresden and Marcone. Um, so, how did you find that? I mean, like I say, Marcone in that reminded me of uh, Kingpin and Daredevil, and it it kind of I know it, it's a perfect example of their relationship as well because they they butt heads quite a lot, and I I oddly feel that Marcone's a lot more reasonable than Harry is most of the time because it feels like Harry just always kind of goes to him pointing the finger, being like, "Oh, you your fault, you're to blame. Clearly, it's you." And Marcone's just kind of mm-hmm. like there, swiveling a glass of whiskey, just being like, you're wrong again, boy. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of, I mean, it it says an awful lot in terms of their relationship as well, especially the unlikely, uneasy alliance aspect of it, because I feel that is the, really the core of their relationship throughout the series. Mm. Is that it's kind of, Marcone is helping Dresden, but he's kind of doing it for his own benefit, I guess. It's, it's kind of he's using Dresden at his own to to his own means. Um, Dresden can get the job done, so he kind of plants the thought there in Dresden's head and kind of makes Harry feel like he's doing it, like as if Harry's made a decision for himself. But then Harry will go do it, and Marcone will be there to pick up the pieces, being like, "Cool, now, now, um, now I'm the mayor," or something absurd. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely. I think Marcone sees sees Chicago as kind of his kingdom, and so in some ways he is the protector of that kingdom, uh, as much as Harry sees himself as kind of the sheriff of Chicago, I suppose. Um, it, so it, more often than not, their goals align, um, which it, it's it's always very interesting because. Uh, Harry, I think, would consider himself much more of a well. If you if you went freaking like D and D kind of alignments, like Marcone is lawful evil, Harry is lawful good. Well, Harry's more chaotic good. Anyway, um, the the fact is, it it really irks Harry to be working with someone like Marcone. Yeah. Uh, even even so much as in this book, um, when like. 
I, I don't think Harry likes the fact that Marcone is more on his side when he bursts into the varsity. The feeling I, I got when Harry rocks up there is very much that he wanted to just go in, all guns blazing, and bring the place to the ground. Mm. Uh, not uh, be used in some ways. Like Marcone straight out um, explains how he's going to use the situation one way or another to his advantage. Um, And it definitely makes it feel like Marcone's got more control over the situation than Harry has. Um, Which is is interesting. And and kind of through the series, uh, we'll come back to this, but um, there are definitely points in their relationship where the power balance will shift one way and then uh, Mark Holm will find a way to bring it back to his side or Harry will find a way to bring it back to his side. Um, often with Harry, it's by burning something down or making something explode, whereas with Mark Holm, it's more manipulative. Um, but they both they both found their way, I guess, uh, to exert control. Um, and yeah, it's a really interesting study of how two very different characters can interact and can, can ally. Um, and uh, Mark Owen's kind of catchphrase through this is uh, it would be bad for business uh, with a lot of things uh, which I think is that that sums him up so so well like Harry does things because it's right and it's moral and uh, he wants to stand against evil in the world Mark Owen does things because it would be bad for business if he didn't yeah, um, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'd I'd also like to touch on Hendrix. is just a really interesting character. So something great about the Dresden Files is that there's a lot of recurring background characters, as much as the recurring uh, kind of supporting cast. Um, and Hendrix will appear uh, a lot through the books, um, and he he is always there. Um, and something that I find really interesting about it, and it, and it's kind of what's interesting about Marcone as well, as we get into the more kind of magical world, is Hendrix is a thug and a goon, but he's a thug and a goon that basically finds a place for himself in in all of this um, by being very adaptable. Kind Marcone Marcone's the one who's more adaptable in in his thinking. Hendrix is adaptable in the way that he will do whatever he is told to do. Yeah. Um, and he makes a very good, loyal um, goon and sidekick to Marco, and I suppose. Absolutely. Um, what, yeah. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on Hendrix, I guess? I mean, it's, it, it's a weird one because my memory of Hendrix at the moment is... I don't really remember him being much of a presence until book nine and ten, like around the time that the uh, Denarians capture Marcone, mm-hmm. and then he becomes more kind of on the front line of things, I suppose. I mean, I, I guess that's also where Marcone becomes more of a central character, I suppose, more than just kind of manipulating people. But um, yeah, it's it's, it's he's a great character, and he's definitely. Like you say, he is a goon, but he is loyal. Like he, the things he does, the things he can do, 
and especially when he's brought more into the world of you know Chicago during the whole vampire war and all that kind of stuff it kind of goes back to what we were saying I think maybe last week about Murphy or the week before where um you know certain certain characters are brought into the world of you know magic and all that kind of stuff and their instant reactions to kind of deny that it's still there you know it, it that's not real it's smoke and mirrors whereas mm. Hendrix kind of goes into the same category as Murphy where it's um they're pulled into this world and their reaction is not kind of what the fuck is this what's going on they're just kind of like they adapt immediately and just deal with it i mean i, yeah, I guess definitely you could probably say that he's he's um what murphy is to harry but like i know he's he's um marcone's version of murphy i guess but with less sass <laughs> yeah less yeah. arguing he just does what he's told more um i i think loyalty is definitely the the, the word that comes to hendrix um comes to mind when you think of hendrix and um it's it's incredible loyalty like loyalty that will withstand magical interference um which is is incredible um and i don't think it's ever really explained why he has that loyalty and i think that that's that's something that's always really interested me is is obviously they have a working relationship but i always feel like hendrix is kind of a, a level beyond that almost um he's a, he's a friend to marcone Mm. Um, and you can, you can kind of see that even here, like they've got a they've got a jokey working relationship. Yeah. Um, that's hinted at, like like when Hendrix kills Gimpy, Marcone's just like, for goodness' sake, <laughs> you didn't need to do that. Um, which which is cool. Um, and and I'd be very interested to see like more work done around Hendrix. Um. I can also see him being a character that gets killed off in later books to uh, heighten the stakes for Marcone, yeah. particularly. Because um, I think losing Hendrix would be a massive blow to Marcone. Definitely. Uh, cool, yeah. So... Um, we were going to talk a little bit about the rising tension of, of the gas station kind of jump, yeah. but I, I'm not sure that there's much to talk about there. No, like, it's very similar to the, um, when he gets jumped by the Shadow Man, I think just before the Toad battle, and also when he gets uh, twatted with the baseball bat, it's very similar to that, I feel. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Butcher uses a very similar kind of style, and that, like, the guy sneaks up on him and, and kind of sneaks up on the reader as you read it. Um, I guess I guess the the interesting part of it is that Dresden kind of learns from the first exchange and makes a yeah. point of kind of attacking back and, and, and getting some of that blood so he can use his tracking spell. Yeah. Um, pays off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? It pays off. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much it for this episode. I feel like we've we've smashed uh, yeah. through all the points. 
like, like, like I don't think I've mentioned it this episode, but these chapters are really, especially this week, have been really short. Yeah. I think that's part of the rising tension. Definitely. Um, but sometimes there's more to talk about. Sometimes there's less to talk about. Uh, when there's a little bit less to talk about, we yeah. will we'll bring in a bit more about what we've, we've been doing and um, and stuff. And it also gives us plenty of room for discussion. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that, that that pretty comfortably leads uh, teases up for uh, chapters 19 to 21, which is next week. Uh, and again, yeah, we are, we're, we're getting towards the end of our Dresden Files Stormfront uh read through um we have discussed in the last episode that uh we are looking for people to email us with their thoughts questions what have you around uh around stormfront uh we'll randomly pick uh one of those uh, to receive a signed copy of stormfront and the next book in the judgment file series full moon uh from me and rob um yeah uh I think that's that's pretty much it. Uh, little apology from my part. Um, if you hear cars going past outside, um, it's absolutely baking hot in England at the moment. Uh, so I am not recording with the windows shut. Uh, so we're just going to have to to live with it. Um, uh, also, this episode uh, has come out uh, a day later. Uh, that's just uh, due to um, it was a bank holiday uh, in England. Um so we, we kind of had to move things around a little bit uh, recording-wise. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Do you want to take us out, Rob? Yeah, you've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with Rob Davis and... Patrick Lunn. Thank you for listening. Remember to review us on iTunes, download us on Spotify, take care of yourselves, crack open a can of Coke, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.